0: Hey everybody, it's me, Josh, and for this week's SYSK Selects, I've uh, chosen an episode from 2010, Have All the Good Ideas Been Discovered? Uh, it's an interesting one, and, and a strange way it ties into the planned obsolescence episode we released recently, even though it was recorded almost 10 years before. And I want to make a note. It's possible that the listener mail person who wrote in in this episode actually predicted the coming of the wildly popular site, Damn You Autocorrect. Prove me wrong. At any rate, enjoy this episode.
1: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works.
0: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and that makes the Stuff You Should Know that's right yes it is not other imitators i wonder how many times i've said that that makes the stuff you should know no the just the whole spiel the whole opening hey welcome to the podcast well you've said it about
1: 270 something times i think luckily we have them all saved and we could count we do (laughs) i don't know if it's lucky though chuck that's a lot of shows dude we should do something special for 300 that's like that's a lot of shows
0: it is that makes me proud. Okay. Well, do you think maybe we could get some cake around here or something? <laughs> a shrimp cocktail? <laughs> yeah. For the love of Pete? No, I'm allergic to shrimp now, remember? I uh, know. But I still like to throw it out there. Actually, Crab I, cakes. I ate a shrimp wonton the other day and nothing happened. Really? Or I, had, I ate a wonton with shrimp and nothing happened. So it was just
1: like tiny little bits of shrimp. In there? I don't
0: know. Either that or I'm getting stronger. Maybe so. Superhuman, you might say. Transhuman. Speaking of human. Yes. Um, Chuck, there is a uh, recent study that came out in part from uh, one of our universities here in the city, Emory, mm-hmm. right down the street. Great school. There's been this problem that's been plaguing researchers for a really long time. And that is at the beginning of the lower Paleolithic period, which is about 2.7 million years ago, Okay, we started using sharp rocks as bashing and cutting tools. Okay. So we figured that out. Okay? You can take a rock. That's technology. Sure. That's not horse. That's technology. Yes. Okay? You can take this rock and you can use it to open a coconut or the head of someone who's wronged you. Using an implement to complete a task. Well, specifically sharp rocks. Okay. It took... Two million years, the end of the lower Paleolithic period, before we figured out that we could actually attach handles to these things and turn Is them into how axis. long it took? Yes. Wow. And this has baffled scientists. Like, how could it possibly have taken right. two million years to go from using your hand to attaching a, a stick? Mm-hmm. You know? Sure. This doesn't make any sense. So, um... Well, they were dumb back then. <laughs> well, a, a dumb is close to it. They would literally were lacking the region of the brain needed, apparently, according right. to this new study. Um, they, 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 Basically, we developed a region in the right hemisphere, specifically the supramarginal gyrus. Wow. Which allowed us to go, hey, let's put a handle on this. And after we did that, we moved out of Africa and started colonizing the rest of the world. So
1: that's they pinpointed the region of the brain that is specific to innovation.
0: To specific to um, stone tool making.
1: Okay, I thought you meant innovation in general. No, like that's where your ideas come from.
0: No, give okay. Me, give me a second. I'll rant. I'll time. Oh, shoot, yeah. did I ruin it? It's okay. Okay. Um, so we go from can't figure out how to attach a handle to a sharp rock. Okay. 2 million years, we figure that out, we leave Africa, and we start colonizing the rest of the world, and all of a sudden, things start entering light speed, right? Yeah, oh yeah. And it seems like uh, over the last couple hundred years, you know, especially since the Industrial Revolution, mm-hmm. our ability to innovate, to grasp new ideas, to understand the world around us sure. has just been hitting this hyper speed. and a lot of people wonder if we've reached a point where all the ideas... Uh, all the good ones at least have already been discovered. All the we yeah. understand how everything works and there's really just figuring out how to dot the I's and cross the T's, right? Right. And there was actually a guy who famously said in eighteen ninety nine, a guy named Charles Buell. I love this quote. He was a, he was the commissioner of the patents office. It's attributed to him, I should say. Yeah. But he said something like everything that can be invented has already been invented. And he said this in a memo, basically saying, like, you should go ahead and shut down the patent office. He clearly had never considered
1: the Snuggy. <laughs> nice. Josh. Nice. Or anything that's been invented since 1900. So, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to go ahead and give you my summation early on. Okay. <laughs> Is that I think people think at various times in history that they've plateaued, and then I think things happen, people come along, innovators... And then they reach new heights and they go, oh, well, we didn't know that. Right. And okay. we, there are new ideas.
0: Right. It's, it's almost, um, it almost displays a shameful lack of historic awareness to say we've reached the end of all of our good ideas. It's just silly. It, it's just asking to be made a fool of. Yeah, or for people to maybe people do that
1: on purpose to goad the innovators into saying, oh, yeah?
0: Right, yeah? Using reverse psychology, <laughs> yeah, exactly. huh? I didn't know that's how innovation works. Yeah, you might as well just give up. Reverse psychology <laughs> drives innovation. That's a good one, Chuck. Uh,
1: there are people, though, that say that uh, technological, that real technological innovation has been stalled for quite a while.
0: Yes. Like um, after
1: the 90s computer revolution, everything else since then has kind of been like. Uh, packaging it in uh, better looking uh, cases and sleeker designs. And it's all like design oriented.
0: It is, or marketing oriented. Marketing um, th- oriented, sure. These, these guys, uh, Cedric Laguerre and Eric Vierdo, who are both with Schema Business School, right. um, basically say smartphones. Yes, they seem incredibly new and cutting edge. But really, they're just the packaging of several already extant sure. technologies into a really sharp-looking handheld device. But that's still a new idea, I would argue. It is still a new idea. But I think what their point is, is saying like before the late 90s, before the 80s, let's say with computers, right. but especially the tech boom of the the telecom boom of the late 90s. Yeah. Like, this stuff wasn't around. Like, so it's not true innovation. Real, right. It's, yeah, yeah. it's kind of repurposing, right? Sure. And what you were saying, like the cosmetic uh, changes to yeah. a computer, um, the, one of the reasons why they're, they they believe that this is going on is because we've come to a point in the computer revolution, I think, Chuck, where um, it's not, you can still make tons of cash just by changing the casing of a CPU. Yeah, there's like no money in innovation, basically, is right. what I got from this one article.
1: Right. Is that innovation costs more than it's worth when you can just repackage what you've got in a sleeker design mm-hmm. and people will buy it up. Exactly.
0: Um, these two authors of this article um, predict that we're going to have two trends that will drive innovation, I guess, currently, right? Yes. That consolidation, where basically like, uh, especially with, either, I think they're talking just about computers, Oh, are they? Yeah, because they're saying the big hardware firms are going to all consolidate all of the smaller hardware firms. Right. To where they'll just basically be like the big three or five. And that will leave it to the software firms to compete and innovate. So we'll see more innovation in the software side rather than the hardware side. Right. And they're also saying that – the green boom is going to sure. drive innovation. That makes sense. Like coming up with sustainable packages or sustainable yeah. solutions. Yeah, things. yeah, totally. Which uh, makes sense. One of the other things
1: they pointed out, thought was interesting, was the um. They said they said the tech, uh, they call it the tech refresh cycle, is too small right now. Yeah. So what's happening is they'll say um, you like your CD. Well, you're going to love the the super audio CD. Or and Blu-ray. You, you like your DVD? You're going to love Blu-ray. But guess what's coming up after Blu-ray? It's going to be like super Blu-ray. Right. And it's happening so fast, people aren't abandoning their current systems. They're just like, you know what? I'm going to hold on because I don't want to be the guy stuck with the Laserdisc player in a couple of years. Right. So all of a sudden, the same thing happens. No one's buying it. So it's not worth as much money, which means that nobody's putting any effort into it. And money into it, so innovation ceases.
0: Right, and there's a guy um, named Edmund Phelps, who's a a professor of political economy at Columbia University, right? Yeah. And he's basically kind of saying the same thing. He's saying that um, there's not enough money going toward innovation, but rather than the the onus being put on consumers not buying Mm Blu-rays out of – Fear of looking like laser disc jerks. Right. Um, it's actually government and big business that's not th- pouring money into small innovators.
1: Yeah, he said that the innovation is the only thing not subsidized by the United States government, which he says is actually a tax in a way because it's not being subsidized.
0: You sort could, of a reach. You could definitely, yeah. You, I think a lot of this guy's points are a reach, but um, what he's suggesting is if the government isn't pouring money into big business mm-hmm. so that they can pour money into i guess small venture firms yeah um these people who are in their garages aren't going to take you know risks they're yeah, not no going incentive. to innovate there's no incentive right sure. i disagree with this i dispute this because I do he's too. he's saying like the people who do work in their garages and you know are the steve jobs and bill gates in the 70s that they were driven by this lust for money. Exactly. And I think that that's wrong. I think that people innovate first and foremost to get this idea out of their head and birth totally. into reality, right? I'm glad you said this because I completely agreed. Uh, regardless of what you think of the Facebook, mm-hmm.
1: Mark Zuckerberg didn't invent Facebook to make gobs of money. No,
0: he invented it to make real friends. Yeah, to, to innovate.
1: And that's what that's my point that you made is that these people in the garage, the true innovators, they don't care if they have two pennies to rub together. Right. They're still going to be trying to innovate and make a name for themselves and come up with something
0: awesome. Right, and now there are people out there who are trying to innovate for, you know, the riches. Snuggie. Sure. I'm sure the guy who invented the Snuggie wasn't in his garage and just wanted like, to think... I gotta get this out or else I'm never gonna sleep
1: again. Yeah, the that's the people that are looking for the next uh,
0: get-rich-quick thing. Right. But I think you can also make a point that um, when you introduce money to innovation it leads to actual stagnation yeah um because when you introduce money there's now um something to lose and people are less willing to take risks and risk is one of the driving the willingness to take risk is one of the driving forces of innovation you know yeah
1: Phelps had a good idea, uh, and this will never happen, of course, because it's a good idea, to create the First National Bank of Innovation. All capitalized. All capitalized. Not all caps, but each word is capitalized. He should do it all all in all caps (laughs) with exclamation (laughs) points. But basically, it would be a a bank that you could go and partner, you know, as a startup company and partner with this bank for financing Mm -hmm. and, you know, I, I would guess some sort of low interest loans. To spur innovation,
0: right? That was a great idea. So it is, it is a good idea, and this does happen in the real world. And the government does pour money into innovation. He's not exactly correct in that sense. And yeah, sure I also I kind of resented that he placed big business in between, you know, people in their garage innovating and you know, government subsidies, that we have to have big business. Give them the money, and then they'll skim a little off the top and give it to this guy in the garage. He's drawing broad strokes here for sure. There are government programs, and we'll talk about one from the National Institutes of Health, where the government says, hey, you have a really good idea, Mr. or Ms. Research Scientist, and we're going to give you enough money to survive for three years.
1: Yeah, because the deal is you can always get grants. If, you know, you put together a nice package, but the, this program with the NIH, what's it called? The uh, New Innovator Award, Director's New Innovator Award. Yeah. This is uh, intended for people who have such a good idea, but it's so new that they don't have the data right. to write a grant where people would say, like, it looks like you're on to something mm-hmm. here. So they're sort of throwing money at stuff that's like, you know— You're the dude in the garage, and we believe in this idea. Go see what you can find out. Right,
0: and we're keeping big business out of the way. Yes. But now that NIH owns you for the rest of your career. Yeah, probably so, huh? (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk about, um, there's three people at uh, UCLA that got these uh, grants recently, and they're up to some kind of some interesting, one could say, innovative stuff, right? They have some good ideas. Hugely innovative. About how to um, approach problems like uh, the uh, Professor Dino DiCarlo. All these, I think these people are younger than us, by the way. Oh, I'm sure they are. Um, Dino DiCarlo is working on ways to basically apply heat or pressure or chemicals to very specific sites in cells yeah. using nanoparticles and magnets, which is tough. Sounds like a winning idea to me. It is. Uh, basically, one of the big problems we have with um, getting cells, engineering cells to do specific things like, um, I don't know, Attack other cells for fun. Like if – tell me that wouldn't be like a big Christmas <laughs> gift yeah. this year if you could like make cells fight with one another under a microscope. Uh-huh. Um, then what you have to basically uh, try to engineer the cell, you know, time after time after time and, and basically program it to do what you want it to do. Yeah, What DeCarlo is coming up with is a way to use um, very tiny magnets – and even tinier nanoparticles that can, when, basically you, my brain is so small. <laughs> when you move the magnet with a joystick, uh-huh. it attracts the nanoparticles in a certain direction or whatever. And you can have the nanoparticles apply heat or pressure or right. a specific chemical to a specific site on a cell. And direct it to go attack another cell for your pleasure. That's awesome. Your amusement. So 1.5 mil goes to uh, De Carlo.
1: And for a good reason. And for a good reason. Uh, The other winner, one of the other winners was uh, Hugh Huang. And you came up with, uh, basically, I'm going to break this down easy. Instead of saying, let me come up with a cure for cancer, Hugh Huang said, let me come up with a way to detect cancer so early, like way earlier than we've ever detected it before, Mm -hmm. that we can stop it in its track, essentially curing cancer. Yes. And he's doing this, uh, actually, I don't know. I think it's a she. She. She's doing this um, through uh, nanomaterial called graphene
0: that is just one atom thick. Yes. Graphene is like this super clearly not of this world material. It's literally a carbon atom thick. That's it. So it it ends up being a sensor,
1: a biological sensor to
0: tell you when uh, cells aren't doing the things they should be doing. So did you know a gram of this stuff? Flattened? covers a football field a gram wow it's ultra light that is thin (laughs) my friend it's one atom thin
1: so 1.5 mil to huang
0: right well did you explain how oh no Uh, let me me try my hand (laughs) at this okay (laughs) so basically what you do is you um you put a a graphene conductor or Uh transistor um in a cell and when these biological markers, right, say histones or something like that, start to accumulate, they're attracted to the graphene. And these, by the way, these biological markers are, we found are correlated with the growth of cancer. Right. The origin of cancer. Yeah, that's where they're starting. Um, and when some of these markers like att- are attracted to the graphene, they create an electrical charge that we can sense. And the graphene is so thin but so highly conductive that um, with just a couple of these molecules mm-hmm. attaching to the graphene, we would be able to detect it. and be like, whoop, 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 right? <laughs> yeah. And we'd be like, oh, crap, you have cancer. And uh-huh. we'd cure it right then. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's a good way to approach a cure for cancer
1: if you ask me. Did I explain that well? I think so. I think so, too. And uh, the last winner this year was uh, Jin Hyung Lee and uh, Jin is trying to debug the brain circuit using, you know, we have the wonder machine, which is our favorite thing in the world, the fMRI, which measures measures? Measures. measures blood and oxygen levels in the brain. So it tells you these areas light up. They're called bold signals, blood and oxygen level dependent. They light up to correspond to certain brain activity. Right,
0: and we've talked about this before. Like you're seeing that there's more oxygen that's going to that part of the brain. So we've assumed this is the basis of the fMRI. Right. If it has more oxygen being delivered to it, that must mean that that region of the brain is active when you show somebody a picture of, you know, their kid, like, being carried away into a van. Right. That, you know, that's the fear region right sure. there. Um, that doesn't really say anything, though. And it doesn't, it well, doesn't necessarily implicate... Well, it's it's not... It's showing, oh, okay, well, there's more oxygen in this region. Right, right. right. What this is... Um, what what Jin Hyung Lee is looking at is... Um, how or what specifically on the neuronal level is being activated. Right. And he's
1: using optogenetics. Right. So it's going to be called the OFMRI. And that's beyond even what we thought was the wonder machine. So this is the super-duper wonder machine. Right. So basically he's using light to uh, allow genetically specified neurons to be activated.
0: Right. Do you know... um, our, one of our listeners at Emory has been harping on us doing one on optogenetics for a while.
1: Oh, really? We should get this person in here.
0: This is probably as close as we're ever going to come to optogenetics. It. <laughs> uh, well,
1: it's a great idea, though, obviously, because uh, Jin Hyung Lee won one of the um, uh, Innovator Awards as well. Yes. And they give these out every year. Mm-hmm. So they clearly believe that we're not out of good ideas.
0: No. Excellent point, Chuck. The NIH. No, and we're not out of good ideas. So, yes, Chuck, we, we uh, you picked those out. You found those guys, all right? Well, I didn't personally find them. <laughs> You're like, these guys should get the... <laughs> the NIH grant. found them. Um, there are very good ideas out there, right? Oh, yeah. But there is a debate that's raging in science um, about whether these ideas like optogenetics yeah. or um, you know, using graphene or nanoparticles to cure or detect cancer, mm-hmm. um, are these variations on a theme? Are they applying cosmetic changes to a computer rather than really creating new parts to it, right? And basically the question is, um, are, are, are there any more major discoveries for us to make or are these really just basically the same? Remember, I've always said like we we have the pieces on the table now. We just have to put yeah. them together. Yeah. Is that the point that we're at? Right. Um, well, that's, you said it, we were. I did, and then we started researching this. and I'm like, I wonder, right? I think I still do believe that, sure. Um, But But within that, though, there's so much that it's to me a little bit
1: like splitting hairs.
0: Well, but you're absolutely right, especially when you throw in the word "discovered," right? Yeah, discovery indicates something that's already out there; we just figure it out or stumble upon it. Sure. And an idea necessarily kind of um, an invention leads, yeah, it leads to an, an invention. It's something we we've created, like technology. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about discovery, right? We have a lot of, um, problems that are still facing us and how we understand the universe like human consciousness right how do brain cells create our understanding of the world like what we see as reality right how is that possible and can we figure everything out well that's the big question is there, there's, a, um, there's a like I said there's a lot of debate about whether or not we'll ever be able to figure everything out or if the human brain just simply isn't um, programmed to understand the world uh, fully, you know'll we'll, right. we'll there 's a guy who 's a physicist, his name is um, russell standard right? uh-huh. and he 's written this book called the End of discovery and basically he 's saying he says that we 're in quote a transient age of human development right right where we're we 're past the point where we figured out you can put a um, a handle on a rock and make it an axe right, but we 're right before the point where we can no longer make discoveries, not because we've understood everything right. or figured everything out, but because we've reached the limits of what is knowable for the human brain. Sure. But even that, look at that that part of the uh, the right hemisphere mm-hmm. that developed and allowed us to put the axe handle on. Right. Right? Who's to say that our brain won't, event, that we won't reach yeah. that point That's what I say. where we can't know anything any longer, or right. we can't know everything, and then... Uh, We evolve even further and all of a sudden we're even better at um, understanding our world. Right. But will we end up eventually coming to a point where humans understand everything and there is no more discovery to make? I say no, because he, he points out in here, and this is, I think, very valid, uh, from
1: the mid century, the 19th century, I'm sorry, they said that a lot of people in science said, you know, we've kind of debunked religion and philosophy and all these things mm-hmm. with scientific discovery. But he points out, and I agree, that even if you figure out all the problems of science, which will never happen, right. there's still human life and consciousness and the subjectivity of what goes on inside a person's head. You're never going to solve... That's not solvable. Right. That's what I argue. That's uh,
0: subjectivism. Yeah. I think I believe in that. Well, the whole, I guess, I I agree with you. Um, There's this aspect of the universe that Kant uh, called the nuomenon. Nuomenon. Okay. That was specifically tailored for my thick tongue. (laughs) That's good. But basically the nuomenon is the thing itself, right? Yeah. Where um it it has it's just the objective it's the objective universe and we don't interact with that. Everything we know and understand is subjective. Yes. And this is where subjectivism is, is based, that basically we can never fully know anything. Mm-hmm. Or, and we certainly won't ever know everything because one thing that will always be elusive is what you see my well. reality is different than your reality exactly and there's it's so a, different there's an extreme version <laughs> of it called soli- sol- solipsism right yes and solipsism is the, the um, this extreme version of subjectivism that basically says um, we everything is so subjective that I can't fully verify that you exist The only thing I know that exists is my reality, but all of you may be made up. I may be totally, completely out of my mind and actually in a padded cell right now, and none of you are really real. Well, that sort of touches on the whole quantum
1: uh, mechanics thing. Right. Don't you think? Please. Well, I mean, I don't have a whole lot to say about it because we've covered it, but it definitely uh, is along the same lines, don't you think?
0: Well, yeah, there's there's an interpretation of quantum mechanics that basically says... um, Everything we know about the universe we know through observation right, and but once you observe it, it changes that 's part of it and when When we observe we we gain information right, but we can 't observe everything at once, so all we know exists in our reality for sure is what we 're observing right so everything else, like what 's going on out there in the office right now doesn 't exist because right. we 're not there to observe it, yeah mind-blowing once again it is mind-blowing but it also we say all this not just to you know rock out to floyd yeah (laughs) but um because this is this is what science is up against this isn't just gibberish this isn't just philosophical gibberish as much as science would like it to be there is a true problem with the fact that subjectivity not objectivity is how we interact with our universe even though science is based it's supposed to be based exclusively on objectivity Right. Right. Well, uh, Stephen Hawking, you might have heard of him. I have. And uh,
1: another dude named uh, Leonard uh, Lod- Now, Is that how I'm going to pronounce that? Sure. There's a silent M in there somewhere. They have a new book uh, called The Grand Design, and they are now saying that uh, I think scientists used to say, we're, we're going to find the theory of everything. Now they're saying, you know what? We're probably not going to find the theory of everything, but it's probably going to be more like uh, what they call, quote, a family of interconnected theories. Mm-hmm. Uh, which describe your reality under
0: very specific conditions. And this is kind of huge for Stephen Hawking because he's long been a big supporter of the theory of everything, which takes the standard model of physics, includes gravity, which has always been elusive, and then marries it with quantum mechanics to explain everything. That's the theory of everything. It's one theory that explains everything, right? Like that surfer guy? Exactly. Yeah. Garrett Lisi, I think his yeah. name is. Well, that was a long time ago. It was. And, you know, it's going to be years before he's shown to be correct or incorrect. Right. But Hawking's saying it's probably not going to be the case. There's going to – there's too many different variables that don't fit together. Right. But the thing that really scares a physicist that will scare any physicist is this. Sports. <laughs> are, those, <laughs> are those models that we've come up with – Yeah. Are they how the universe actually works – or how we look at the universe and see how it works. You see what I'm saying? There's that subjectivism again. It can't yeah. be whipped. Well, and all the things
1: that we've said over the years that we have formed to be true, are those even true? Or are, are, are the conclusions we're reaching just based on years of thought compiled that may not have been true to begin with? So, right. I you see know what you saying? mean. Like
0: we uh, arrive at reality by consensus. Yeah, but is that consensus, was that even accurate along the way? Not necessarily. It's been shown time and time again that it's, it hasn't been accurate yeah. through these, um, the, the five revolutions, as V.M. Ramachandran puts them. Copernicus? Um, Copernicus was the first one who said that Earth is not the center of the universe. Darwinism? Uh, Dar- Very good, Chuck. Darwin says, like, hey, we're actually just a bunch of apes. Uh, DNA? Freud. Freud, yeah, before DNA. Freud saying, like, we we actually are driven by desires that we can't control and aren't really aware of. DNA. DNA. Which is saying, uh, I think James Watson, who found DNA, along with uh, Francis Crick, said, quote, there are only molecules, everything else is sociology. I love that quote, man. It's one of my favorites. And then um, the fifth revolution, the neuroscience revolution, that we're all, everything, all of our understanding and movements and and experiences are nothing but um, neuronal transmissions, electrochemical impulses, right? So there's not even sociology. That even is just based on firing neurons. Right. That's that's where we're at right now. That's why I say I think we have everything on the table. We just haven't put it together, but it's entirely possible, historically speaking, to... Say, well, we thought that before, right? And we didn't. And what revolution is next? Will that, will the next revolution get us over the wall of subjectivism, or will that be the wall that we always run into? This is a good one. It was. I was worried about this one. Uh, it came out pretty good,
1: didn't it? I think so. Yeah. Don't you like it when we <laughs> like pat ourselves in the back at the end of the show? I think
0: this one deserves it, man. Well, we went so, from Blu rays to yeah. neurons and.
1: At the end of the day, Josh and Chuck say, we are not out of new ideas. Can I speak for you? Go ahead. We are not out of new ideas. And just when you think you're out of new ideas, just when you think you've plateaued, comes a you wang along to say, no, 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 no.
0: There are new ideas. And here's one. Yeah, Now give me the cash. Exactly. <laughs> if you want to learn more about innovation and new ideas, uh, we have tons of stuff all over the site. Just type in uh, innovation. Type in discovery. I'm sure that'll bring up a ton of stuff. Um, And type in neurons. That'll bring up some pretty cool stuff too. Agreed. Uh, You can type all those words into the handy search bar at howstuffworks.com, which means it's time for listener mail. Yes,
1: Josh. I'm going to follow this very heady podcast with the opposite, an email form. This is from our 13-year-old fan, Peyton, in California. Well, hello. I'm sending this from my eye touch while laying in bed. I'm supposed to be asleep, so shh. Anyway, I just started listening to your podcast after my friend Claire. Yes, that's the Claire from California, whose email you read on the air, who thinks Jerry looks like Tina Fey. Uh, Claire is uh, is Peyton's friend. Okay. So she said, oh, you got on the air, so I'm going to start listening to you. Actually, I'm saying Peyton is a girl. Peyton may be a boy. You never know. Uh, I assume boy. Oh, really? Yeah. It's androgynous, right?
0: Yeah. Ambivalent, at least.
1: (laughs) Uh, Claire posted on her Facebook page that I said, listen to the most recent podcast because you guys read her letter or something. I thought it was so cool. Claire and I are really good friends. Anyways, I love this podcast. Gosh, I feel so boring because I keep saying podcast. Is there like another word for that? Jerry (laughs) laughed at that. (laughs) Uh, anyways, I definitely she does that thing like the kids do now where they put like eight s's at the end of a word. Have you seen that? Yeah,
0: I don't get that. I don't either. We're getting old.
1: I guess so. I most definitely enjoyed the podcast on the octopi and stuff. I yes, thought it was
0: octopi.
1: Uh huh. I thought it was informational and funny. By the way, this email doesn't make any sense. It's because my iTouch is dumb and autocorrects words that I've already spelled right. Erg. Moving on, your uh, iPhone does that too. And mine does that.
0: What's this email written with one of those pens that has like four different color ink you can select (laughs) from? (laughs) That's what
1: it feels like. But the reason I brought that up is I have an idea to start a website called myiphone, spelled what, dot com. Nice. Because you ever look at some of them you send and you're like, can you please make sure you take the sofa out of the oven when you get home? Yeah. When you meant to say um, sturgeon. Let's say
0: surgeon to sofa.
1: I would well probably go to not. surgeon. Okay, take the surgeon out of the oven, which is I God, think so much sofa. better. I wish we would have planned this. It's okay, buddy. Anyway, it can make for a lot of fun. So that's my new idea. <laughs> okay, and that's um, lots of love from Peyton, age thirteen, in Cali.
0: Thanks a lot, Peyton, age thirteen, in Cali, boy or girl, we're not exactly sure, but either way, we appreciate you taking the time to write in. And if you have a movie that uh, Chuck and I have not seen, you assume we haven't seen that you think we should see. Best movie best overlooked movie of all time we're always looking for good suggestions wrap it up in an email and send it to stuff podcast at com. stuff you
1: should know is a production of iHeartRadio's radio's how stuff works